Well, folks, you might have heard the Gonzaga Bulldogs and Kentucky Wildcats are squaring off in November at the Spokane Arena today. We will preview the game and the big matchup between the two star post players while also discussing the location of the game, John Calipari's recent statements that have seemed to alienate just about everybody that he can. We're also going to talk about SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey's quest to alter one of the best sporting events on the planet, the NCAA tournament, all right here on the Locked On Zags podcast. Don't go away. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates on all things Zag athletics. Today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, more odds, and more lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. I also want to thank all of you who have continued to make Locked On Zags your first listen of the day, even as we are here in the depths of the college basketball offseason. It is sincerely appreciated that there, there are many of you who are continuing to check out the show on a daily basis. And I also appreciate all of you who have checked out the show on YouTube. Again, trying to get to a thousand subscribers before the start of the college basketball season. We are well on our way, very close to 850, still about 150 to go. If you are listening to this and you haven't done so yet, go to youtube.com, go to the YouTube app on your phone, search Locked On Zags, you'll find the channel. You can hit that subscribe button from there. It is very much appreciated. All right, today is the long-awaited and slightly delayed Gonzaga vs. Kentucky Super episode. I apologize for the delay on this very excited to talk about this game. Of course, there was going to be much, much more conversation about this very exciting non-conference game as the season gets closer. Hoping to be able to have a conversation with Lance Lance Daw, the host of the Locked On Kentucky podcast. Uh, going to be plenty of more previews as the season and off-season continues on. But for now, we're going to get the basics out of the way for anybody who may have missed it. Gonzaga and Kentucky are squaring off November 20th. The game will be at the Spokane Arena. We'll talk more about that in the second segment. Uh, The game was announced during an open practice for the Kentucky Wildcats at the basketball arena at Rupp, or excuse me, at their practice arena. Uh, They were... They brought Mark Few onto the video camera. For those of you who have not watched this video, it's really fun to just see Mark Few like on the, on the video camera at Kentucky. Calipari's got a microphone. He's standing on the court. He's talking to the crowd, but also talking to Coach Few. Uh, it feels like all of the infamous Zoom calls that many people are still making on a day-to-day basis, but that certainly peaked in I'll use the phrase popularity uh, in the you know summertime of 2020 after COVID first hit. Uh, it kind of was a, a flashback to that a little bit, uh, a friendly flashback in some ways. Maybe not so much for everybody, uh, but it was really fun to see Mark Few kind of talk about the game a little bit. Um, what happened is Calipari lamented. Uh, and you, it, it was said somewhat jokingly, but but not really, not really jokingly, that they have to come to Spokane first. You could tell that there was a, a strong push to have the first game in this series be in in Kentucky. 
Why that is an incredibly big deal to either of these coaches seems kind of silly, uh, but whatever. It's just kind of how it works. These guys are competitive. That's They want the prestige of having the first game uh, in the home-and-home home series, apparently. Uh, but obviously, Calipari is willing to come out to Spokane, uh, and he said, hey, I, what about you coming back next year? And, and Few said, absolutely. It's Again, we'll talk about it more in the second segment, but Few specifically said, we've never played at Rupp Arena. We would love to do that. So it sounds like the return game in 2023 is going to be at Rupp. Uh, This is the first time that these two teams have played since 2002. That's a remarkable stat. These two teams have been powerhouses in the college basketball landscape that entire time. If you want proof of that, the the last time they, they played in 2002, Gonzaga was 20th in the country. They were the number 20 ranked team. Kentucky was the number 15 ranked team. It was a game in Maui. So both these teams were participating in the Maui Invitational, which remains one of the highest profile feast week tournaments that exists. Gonzaga has been in it many, many times since then. Uh, Gonzaga lost this game to Kentucky, 80 to 72. Blake Stepp had 24 points in the loss. But again, 20 years ago, both these teams were top 20 teams in the country. Now, When this game tips off on November 20th, there's a good chance they're both top five. There's a great chance they're both top 10. There's a borderline 100% chance they're both top 10 teams in the country. So we're talking about a 20-year gap, and these two teams are still at the absolute top. If anything, they have continued to move up. Gonzaga certainly has. They were nowhere near the pedigree they have now back in 2002. But it's worth remembering, they were still a top 20 team. I think that there's a kind of a belief that Gonzaga has has been good but not great for the majority of the last 20 years and then the last five years is when they really peaked. And while that's generally true in, in a lot of capacities, they've had peaks before. 2002 was a phenomenal year for this program. Obviously, 2006, when Adam Morrison led the entire nation in scoring and was one of the most high-profile college athletes of all time, that team got ranked, I believe, as high as number three, if not number two. They were definitely number three, at least at one point. So we're not talking about a program that has only really been a a really top-tier program for the last five or six years. They have been there before, and I think for me, seeing this game happen back in 2002 and seeing, oh, that was a top-20 battle is kind of a a fun reminder of, of where this program has has come and also that they haven't been that they've they've been there before that they've been a high-ranking program in the past the biggest most exciting thing about this game uh, in terms of matchups far and away drew timmy oscar shubway that is an incredibly exciting one-on-one matchup in fact it is the first time a returning AP player of the year, which would be Shubway, is going up against a two-time AP All-American in Drew Timmy. This is the first time that has happened since 1973, which could be a part of a much, much longer conversation and discussion about the cha- rapid changes that hit college basketball, the obviously the one-and-done culture or two-and-done culture or the inability or the unlikeliness of players coming back to school after being AP All-Americans or AP Players of the Year, most of the time those guys don't come back. They go to the NBA, they go to the professional ranks. Certainly we have seen this collection of kind of similar style players like Drew Timmy, like Oscar Shubway, who choose, to, like Armando Baycott, he's a great example at North Carolina as well, who, who choose to return to college because their game doesn't really translate to the modern NBA 
This is very true of Drew Timmy. It's it's the one of the very likely reasons he has continued to come back to Gonzaga. A player like him 25 years ago, I'm, he probably would have been a one-and-done because he didn't start as a freshman, but he absolutely would have been a two-and-done, and there's no way he would have come back between his third and fourth seasons because this program, that kind of player was so powerful back then. That was You ran your offense through low-post threats like that. That doesn't happen in the modern NBA. So Drew Timmy, Oscar Shubwe, I don't want to say they're left behind, but they're they're dated in terms of the style of basketball they play. It works great at the college game where the game is a little bit more condensed because the floor is not spaced as much. The outside shooting is less consistent, certainly from the collegiate level. There's there's tons of defensive rules, reasonings that this is the way that it is. It's not really a secret. It's not really a surprise necessarily. If you watch the NBA, you can kind of tell why players like Shubway and Timmy and, and Baycott probably aren't going to succeed uh, in the NBA, at least certainly not at the level that they are playing at in college. Luca Garza is a great example of a player who had a phenomenal collegiate career at Iowa, has gone into the NBA and hasn't stuck, hasn't stuck, probably will not stick. The only way that he's going to stick is if the outside shooting becomes like a legitimate, consistent threat. And that's probably true for for any of these guys that we're talking about. And none of them have really proven that that's going to be a part of their game. Garza probably had the best shot of being that guy and he hasn't done it yet. So it's it's a, it's a bummer for them. There's no doubt about that. But having high-profile players like this still playing college basketball is huge. Obviously, NIL has a big part to do with that. Shubway is the best example. If you have not read, there are multiple fantastic articles out there about Oscar Shubway, about the amount of money that he has raised through NIL. He is working really, really hard to secure NIL deals to help his family. He has helped pur- purchase, I believe it was a car for his mother, or maybe it was a house or an apartment. I can't remember the exact details. I apologize. But I know that he has made some very big, the kind of purchases you'd expect, like a top 10 pick in the NBA or NFL draft to make for their family. He has made them while he is still in college because of NIL deals. That is tremendous. And yes, I know that there's people concerned that, oh, like, are the rich going to get richer? And is this going to be a problem for Gonzaga? And I can, we can maybe talk about those fears another time. I don't think they're illegitimate, but I think at this point, like looking at what Shubway has done, looking at how hard he has worked to raise money for himself and for his family while still being in college, it's hard to not look at that like a good thing because he's he's still in college. Drew Timmy, still in college. Julian Strother, still in college. Rasir Bolton, still in college. And those things may not happen in, in an era where they can't make money. I don't think that any of their decisions were singularly based on money. None of them. But it was clearly a factor. <laughs> to pretend it wasn't is silly. It was definitely a factor. If those guys couldn't have made money returning to school, maybe some of them might have still come back, but I doubt all four of them do. I doubt if you count Armando Baycott in that conversation and Marcus Sasser at Houston and any of the other very high-profile players who have returned to college, they not as many of them do that if they don't have that ability. So uh, I think... NIL is an exciting thing, and I think when you want to look at the reasons, if you want to look at the most notable reason why it's good that NIL exists in college basketball, November 20th, Spokane Arena, Oscar Shubway versus Drew Timmy, not a matchup we have seen with the that caliber of one-on-one player since 1973, since Bill Freakin' Walton and UCLA in 1973. That's the last time two players of this caliber went off against each other. That is proof that NIL is... While it's complicated, in many ways, it is clearly good for college basketball. 
right, we're going to come back in the second segment. We're going to talk about John Calipari's insistence that this game be played at the Spokane Arena, why the definition of home and home seems to be misplaced here. But before we do that, let's talk about Bet Online. College basketball may be deep into the offseason, but the MLB, WNBA, and MLS seasons are heating up into the summer months. BetOnline is your number one source for all of your betting needs and sports information. From all the latest odds contests and player props, you name it. BetOnline remains the best spot for all your latest sports developments, including podcasts and reviews for all of the leagues this season. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering information needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino games. They even have lines for coaching changes across every major sport, so even in the offseason, you can get your fix. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. Bet online, where the game starts. All right, segment two, still Andy Patton, still locked on Zags, still talking Gonzaga Bulldogs, Kentucky Wildcats. We talked Drew Timmy versus Oscar Shubway in the first segment. This segment's a little bit more John Calipari versus Mark View. Frankly, it's a little bit more John Calipari. That's kind of the, the primary topic for this segment. When this game was first announced, the biggest conversation that happened right out of the shoots was about where the game in Spokane was going to be played. It was announced November 20th in Spokane. That is the way the announcement was made. It came out very quickly after that that the game is not going to be played at the kennel. It is instead going to be played at the Spokane Arena, which holds about twice as many people as the kennel. It is very, very close to Gonzaga's campus. So it kind of caused some controversy. There was a lot of people, myself included, I am not going to, to hide how I felt about this, who feel this game should be played in the kennel. We're calling this a home-and-home home series. Kentucky is playing it at Rupp Arena. Mark Few made that very clear in his statement at Kentucky's practice on the video camera. He said, we've never played at Rupp Arena. We want to play there. They're going to Kentucky's home court. They're going to play at where Kentucky plays their games. I know that Rupp Arena is not on Kentucky's campus. I know that there are people who are gearing up to comment that right now on YouTube. And I understand that. But that is where Kentucky plays their home games. Gonzaga is playing in an arena that they do not play in. They do not play at Spokane Arena. They play there maybe once a year, more like once every other year. They don't play there very often. And yes, Rupp Arena is used for way more than Gonzaga basket, or excuse me, than Kentucky basketball. And it's that's the same with Spokane Arena. It's used for much more things than Gonzaga basketball. But at the end of the day, this is not a comparison. The Zags are going to play a true road game at Kentucky at Rupp Arena with their fan base, with their student section, where they normally play. Kentucky is going to play a game at at an arena that is just as foreign to the basketball players on Gonzaga's roster as it is to the Kentucky players. Julian Strother, he deleted this tweet shortly afterwards, but he tweeted, man, I didn't even know there was a Spokane Arena, to be honest. Uh, he might have been joking. He might have been being a little being facetious. I'm not sure. Maybe he was telling the truth. I have no idea. But that is likely not a surprising sentiment. Most of the players for Gonzaga's roster will have never played at Spokane Arena. And I know that there are people listening to this right now who think that this is Gonzaga fans building up an excuse in case they lose. That is not the case. If Gonzaga loses to Kentucky, it will not be because the game was at Spokane Arena. I can't promise you that there won't be people who who make that comment or who believe that at some capacity, but I don't believe that's going to be the case. That is not what's going to cause a win or a loss here. But it is hard to argue that playing this game 
in Spokane but not where Gonzaga plays when you're going to play where Kentucky plays is inherently, for lack of a better word, unfair. I'm also not going to pretend I don't understand the reasoning, whether it's because Calipari is afraid, which is what a lot of people like to say, and Calipari did not help himself with his specific quote about the game. For anybody who did not see his tweet, his exact phrasing was, anyone who wants us to play in a 6,000-seat arena wants us to lose, and that's fine. I find this quote very fascinating for a lot of reasons. Number one, does he not realize that everybody wants them to lose? I mean, obviously, outside of Kentucky fans, and there's some neutral fans who don't care, uh, and there are some anti-Gonzaga fans who probably want Gonzaga to lose this game more than they want Kentucky to, and that's fine. But, of course, opposing fans always want you to lose. Like, that's the whole deal. That's not the reason that Gonzaga fans want this game in the kennel. They want this game in the kennel because it's their home court. They want to bring people, they want to bring the best teams to their home court. Who doesn't want to do that? Every college basketball team wants to do that. And yes, the Spokane Arena is only half a mile away, and it holds more people. And look, I understand that. There are pros and cons to this. This was not a universal, every Gonzaga fan feels the same way. Many Gonzaga fans do not feel the same way that I do about this. They believe that this game should be held at the arena, that the opportunity for more people to go see Gonzaga's people in Spokane who otherwise don't get to see the Zags because you can't go to a game at the Kennel. It's pretty much impossible. Those games are sold out for years and years between the student section size and the amount of season ticket holders and boosters. It is impossible to get tickets to a game at the Kennel. I'm not debating that. I'm not arguing that. That is a fact. That is a definitive fact that it is very, very difficult unless you have connections to players or people who work at the team or work at the school. It is really hard to get tickets to a game in the kennel. This game being played at the Spokane Arena will open up tickets to people who otherwise wouldn't have gotten to go. That's an objectively good thing. And it is a fair argument to say, hey, this isn't actually that bad of a thing. This might be a net good thing. Now, Some of the arguments that we see kind of imply like, oh, like kids or families in Spokane will now get to see the Zags. And I don't envision this being a particularly easy ticket to acquire. And I think that that's a bit of a, it's almost like a red herring. It's kind of like, oh, like all those families, like, look, the Logan neighborhood is is a, is a not wealthy area of Spokane. It's one of the poorest neighborhoods in the state of Washington. So those, those fans, they're maybe not going to get to go to this game if, if they offer tickets at a discounted rate for people in the neighborhood, for families, like if you want to buy a four-pack and the ticket's discounted, that's amazing. If that happens, then this is a non-issue for me. Absolutely get young fans, get diehard Spokane Gonzaga fans who never get to see the Zags. If you can get them into the arena, great. But I'm envisioning a situation where it's just a lot of rich Gonzaga fans who don't normally get to go to the games who now get to buy tickets to go to the game. And great for them. I'm not trying to criticize them. I'm just saying that trying to use the argument of like, oh, a bunch more fans and kids get to go see the team just doesn't feel like it's as accurate as like, oh, it's just a lot more rich people get to go see the team play. And it's still, again, objectively not necessarily bad that more people get to see the game. I don't think that that's a bad thing. But my main argument, college basketball is for the students. Yes, it's a spectator event. Yes, your city, the younger fans, like all those people matter. I'm not saying in any way that they do not matter. But college basketball is for students at the college currently. That is the, those are the people who who are engaging with the sport the most. That is kind of who 
your sport is catering to. That you're, It's college students playing for college students. That's what college sports is inherently about. And when you have an event that doesn't take place on campus, yes, there will be tickets for students. Yes, they will have their own section. It's not. They're not barred from going to the game. They're not removing student seats from the game or anything like that. But it's more difficult. Tenting, which is something like a, a truly excellent experience for college students. Some of my greatest memories as a Gonzaga student were tenting out for the Michigan State game, tenting out for St. Mary's games, tenting out for many other high-profile non-conference games for days, for just a night, for a couple of days in the freezing cold sometimes, uh, having dance parties, playing music, like staying up late at night. Like Those were the kind of things that, that really kind of bonded the Gonzaga community in a lot of ways and continue to do so to this day. And Taking that away, maybe they'll try to do some kind of tenting for the Kentucky game. I don't know exactly how they might pull that off. But to me, you're transparently treating this as we want this to be a bigger money-making situation. And we're removing an aspect of this game away from the students. And to me, I just, I just don't like that. I just don't like that. That's all it is. I, I don't. I see the pros. I see the cons. I see people saying, well, Calipari, you know, is trying to get more people into the seats and it's, you know, they played a 22,000 seat arena. So why should you have to play a 6,000 foot arena or 6,000 seat arena? It's like, if you want to go play Gonzaga in Spokane, go play Gonzaga in Spokane, but play them at their home arena. If you're going to make them come to Rupp or if they're going to volunteer to come to Rupp, you should play at the kennel. That's how I feel. Again, I see both sides. I understand if people don't feel the same way. I just don't like it. I don't like that Calipari comes out and says, oh, they want us to lose because they want us to play at Gonzaga's home. So you don't think you can win there? If you don't think that you can win there, just say that. <laughs> but don't pretend it has anything to do with anything else. I just, I, I'm not a, not a huge fan of that. But hey, you know what? If this stokes the fire, if this brings the rivalry, which it's not really a rivalry. Again, they haven't played in 20 years. But if this brings some more energy, some more heat, some more intensity into this game, I'm all for that. All right, folks, we're going to come back in the third and final segment of today's show, and we're going to discuss the recent comments by SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey, perhaps the only other person in the SEC who's making more headlines than John Calipari these days. Uh, he's discussing some a movement to potentially expand the NCAA tournament. We're going to discuss what that could mean right after this. All right, segment three, still Andy Patton, still locked on Zags, still chatting SEC basketball in the final segment of the day of the week for locked on Zags. SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey, he came out with a statement saying he wants to expand the NCAA tournament effectively. He came out saying he wants the NCAA to look at potential changes to the NCAA tournament with an eye on potentially expanding it. Of course, the field went from 64 to 68 somewhat recently with the two additional play-in games. So there's already been some movement in that regard. There have also been rumors that specifically surrounding Greg Sankey that he wants to potentially remove the automatic qualifier which is a much different conversation than just simple expansion. My assumption is that Sankey is, is trying to convince the NCAA to consider expansion with the kind of the backup being, hey, if you're not going to expand, then we should try to get rid of the automatic qualifier. We don't want these pesky St. Peter's teams uh, in the NCAA tournament anymore, which is objectively terrible. We, the whole second segment of this podcast was a pros and cons and an opinion that I voiced that not everybody shared. This is an opinion that a lot more people share. 
automatic qualifiers, the smaller conferences getting at least one team in the NCAA tournament is a huge part of the event's success. Unequivocally. There is no debate about this. Look at the numbers for the most watched games in the NCAA tournament last year. North Carolina versus St. Peter's. That was the game everybody wanted to watch. Can this 15-seeded St. Peter's squad, can they make their way all the way into the Elite Eight? Can they keep going into the Final Four? It was an extraordinary run for St. Peter's. An iconic, infamous, never-going-to-be-forgotten run from the Peacocks. And they want to get rid of that. You remember when UMBC beat Virginia? What if that was Northwestern? A 16-seeded Northwestern team that went, I don't know, 12 and 17 in the Big Ten and finished ninth. Does that beating Virginia matter to you at all? To Northwestern fans? Hell yeah. And I'm not trying to pick on them specifically. That's the team that popped in my head. But yeah, it matters to them. But do you think that that game, if Northwestern as a 16 seed runs all the way to the Elite Eight, do you think anybody's going to watch that game more than the amount of people that would normally watch an Elite Eight game? Do you think that game's going to rival your St. Peter's team? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I'm not, that, that, that's a fact. It's just not going to. Less people are, care about that. People still remember George Mason going on a run to the Final Four. VCU, Wichita State, which is an admittedly bigger school, but still, that was a big run that they went. And then the biggest thing, obviously why this is important to me and many of you listening, Gonzaga probably doesn't exist without the automatic qualifier. Doesn't exist in the nearly the capacity they exist currently. They, they wouldn't have made it. In 1999, when they won the WCC, they would not have made the NCAA tournament if there was not an automatic qualifier. They just wouldn't. And they would not be the program that they are today if they didn't make that run. They, the Cinderella run, the slipper still fits all the way to the Elite Eight. Turn around, get Dan Dickow in the program. Dan Monson heads to Minnesota. Mark Few takes over as the head coach. Boom, you guys know the story. Heck, three years later, 2002, they were ranked 15th in the country, excuse me, 20th in the country against Kentucky in the Maui Invitational. Three years later. That, those kind of things don't happen. And Gonzaga is a very, very unique story. We know that. Other pro people like to say, well, they just do it because they keep winning the WCC every year. If it was easy, there'd be other programs that did it. We'd still be hearing about George Mason or VCU, but we're not. Or Florida Gulf Coast. We'd still be hearing about those programs, but we're not because it's really difficult to continue to do that. But every year, those teams get a chance to get back into the NCAA tournament. They have a chance. Every year, every team in college basketball has a chance to make the NCAA tournament, provided they play at the Division I level, of course. Every team can. Last year, Abilene Christian came very close to winning the WAC. This is a program that was mid-level in the WAC. WAC is not a good conference. New Mexico State, Seattle U look like the obvious kind of candidates to be the, the teams that came out of the WAC for that year. Grand Canyon, of course, in that conversation as well. But it was this close to being Abilene Christian. And that is cool. That is, a, that is a cool thing that happened. St. Peter's, of course, an incredible story. A program that wasn't particularly good in the regular season. Snuck onto the 15 line. Upset our good friends John Calipari and the Kentucky Wildcats in the first round. You bet we're getting Calipari into all three segments of today's podcast. Uh, and then they made, they went, went on this incredible run. Getting rid of that would be incredibly tragic. Again, Sankey's priority is just expanding the field, which I think is also bad. I think that the field is already as big as it should be. 68 teams is totally fine with me. I do not want to see more mid-level Power 5 programs make the NCAA tournament. This is not an expansion that would like 
have added Santa Clara last year, if they had four more teams, if they expanded to 72, Santa Clara, BYU, those aren't the teams that get in. The teams that would have made it would have been the biggest Power 5 programs that just missed the NCAA tournament last year. And I'm not trying to to crap on those programs specifically. It's really hard to be even 500 in the Power 5, and I understand that. And you look at the the talent on those rosters, sure, a 500 Northwestern or Indiana team like that is probably better talent-wise than St. Peter's. But again, St. Peter's went to the Elite Eight. So like, I don't understand how, how, how that story is not more fun. And you're looking at an industry that's $870 million just on media revenue, just on media revenue last year, $870 million. That's before a single ticket was sold, a single hot dog was sold, any merchandise, all of that. It's a billion dollar industry with all of that. For three weeks of basketball in March is a billion dollar industry. Why would you mess with that? I understand the SEC's desire to get two to three more teams in the conference every year because most of that $870 million goes back to the conferences depending on how many of their teams were represented in the NCAA tournament. That's why the WCC should be rooting every single year for St. Mary's, for BYU to San Francisco to get into the NCAA tournament because more money filters down to the rest of the schools in the conference. Gonzaga has a lot of money. They obviously want more money. But more than that, I want the University of Portland to have more money. I want Santa Clara and LMU and San Diego to have more money because then they get better. Then they can upgrade their facilities. Then they can maybe be more aggressive uh, pursuing recruits because they have better facilities. Like those kind of things matter. They can pay a coach more potentially to either stick around or to come on board. This is important. And I understand the SEC is like, well, like we are only getting four or five teams in the tournament every year. It's like, well, then be better at basketball if that's what you want. But asking like, can we expand so we can get a few more teams in and make some more money? It just feels transparently gross. You know, I've talked on this podcast a handful of times about how capitalism is really taking over the uh, the college basketball landscape, college sports landscape in general with conference realignment and all of that. And in some ways, it's not horrible. Certainly the NIL and the players being able to get a piece of the pie has been a tremendously positive advancement, even if there have been some negative stories in that regard. Certainly the Miami situation was pretty ugly this year with Nigel Pack and the $400,000 promise that he got from boosters and There's some ickiness. There's always going to be ickiness. There always has been ickiness. But I think ultimately some of those aggressive moves to allow student-athletes to make money off of their name, image, likeness have been positive. But some of the moves the NCAA has made have been pretty transparently negative and just cash-grabby. This, expanding the NCAA tournament, altering the NCAA tournament in any way, whether it's expansion or removing the AQ, is a net negative. And I am hoping that enough people believe that and are willing to step up and defend one of the greatest, not even one of the greatest sporting event in the entire country. I'm hoping enough people will step up, defend it and say, hey, this isn't right. We like it the way that it is. There's no reason to change it just for the sake of change. There's no reason to change it to put more money in these big schools pockets. That's not what this is about. This is about this madness. It's about madness. It's it's about upsets. It's about uh, these kids getting to live out their dreams and potentially compete for uh, stories like the story that we saw last year with St. Peter's. Getting rid of that is a tragedy and, and something that I think would significantly hurt and potentially like really, really long-term damage college basketball. So hopefully cooler heads will prevail here. And this is not the kind of thing that will end up happening uh, to the sport in the near future. 
All right, that is going to do it for today and, of course, for this week. Of course, the programming note, for those who may have missed it, the podcast is down to three episodes per week for this month and the month of September. Still tons of great content coming your way. A couple guests lined up in the next couple of weeks as well. Very excited about that. All right here on the Locked On Zags podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts, available on YouTube as well. Plus, you can check out my written content about all of these topics on the website scorezagscore.com. Finally, thank you again for making Locked On Zags your first listen of the day. Locked On WCC doesn't exist just yet, but you can get more informed on the West Coast happenings by making Locked On Pac-12 your second listen of the day. Host Spencer McLaughlin and the local experts of Locked On take you across the Pac-12 in 30 minutes, five times per week. Thank you all for listening, and go Zags.